Shalom from Jerusalem, and welcome back to another episode of the Koren Podcast, uh, our Pesach episode, um, Pesach 2022. Uh, it's very exciting. Um, I'm joined, as always, by Arya Grossman. Hi, Arya. Hi, Alex. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, we have a wonderful guest this week, do we not? We do indeed. We are joined by Rabbi Chaim Jakta, who is the author of the new book, Bridging Traditions, published by Mugged Books in partnership with OU Press. Uh, Rabbi Jakta is, has an international reputation as a GET administrator, consultant for Community Eruvin. He's the author of many books, including the new book, Bridging Traditions, that I mentioned, as well as Reason to Believe, published under Mugged Books as well, a veteran teacher of Judaic studies at TABC, the Torah Academy of Bergen County. Uh, he also, notably for this episode, serves as the spiritual leader of Congregation Share Ora, the Sephardic Congregation of Teaneck. Um, so it was really great to have him join us. Rabbi Jackta was the uh, perfect person to speak to. Uh, he is himself Ashkenazi, but is the rabbi of a Sephardic community. And that's what we're going to be talking to him about, um, especially as it relates to Pesach. So hopefully there are some uh, gems for our listeners to share at the Seder. Um, so let's jump right into it. We are delighted to be joined by Rabbi Chaim Jakta, um, who is an author, uh, a teacher, a Dayan, uh, a community rabbi. Um, we're particularly excited to have Rabbi Jakta with us this week because uh, the focus of our episode being um, uh, Ashkenazi and Sephardi traditions. Rabbi Jakta is uh, Ashkenazi, um, but the rabbi of a Sephardi shul and has just written um, Bridging Traditions, Demystifying Differences Between Sephardic and Ashkenazic Jews. So Rabbi Jakta, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure to be here. Um, if we could start with just uh, a few words about you. How does a, a nice Jewish boy from, from New York, uh, fresh out of YU, end up uh, leading a Sephardi community um, and sort of who you are and, and, and how we get to where we are today? Okay, so let me, let me say in brief about how an Ashkenazic rabbi can be the, uh, can serve a Sephardi congregation. It's very, very simple because... It's the same thing. <laughs> Basically, we're one people, we're Amechad, and uh, yeah, there are differences here and there, but in yeshiva, every single yeshiva, you're, you're taught, Tosos the Rambam, Tosos the Rambam. Okay, so in my personal practices with Tosos, but I always know the Rambam. So, okay, so here we're doing the Rambam. You're the Machaber, the Ramah, or Maran, or the Ramah. Okay, so the Machaber, the Ramah. Hey, there's a lot of learning that has to be done, but you've been trained in this all along. I've always loved learning Ravajas uh, Svarim, even before I became uh, an honorary Svaradi, um, or, or, or as some of my students would say, a kidnapped Svaradi. It's, 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 this is the most important thing I want to emphasize in, 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 in this interview. We are one people, we are one nation, very important. And I guess in terms of how, how, how did it come about? Was it something, we, we, did you kind of intend on becoming the rabbi of a Sephardi shul or did it kind of, <laughs> what's the story? Okay. Well, okay, now after that rant, okay, so I will, <laughs> uh, I will uh, I'll move on with, uh, how did it actually happen? Okay, so what happened was, was that uh, two weeks before Rosh Hashanah of the year 2000, 
uh, our shul, which at that point was very, very small, men in a basement. Uh, the uh, the leaders realized, uh-oh, we forgot to get a rabbi for Rosh Hashanah. They normally, they would hire someone for uh, for, for Rosh Hashanah. They never rush. They would hire someone for Rosh Hashanah in Kippur. And uh, they asked me to come two weeks, two weeks before, because I'm local. And uh, one of the leaders knew that I actually heard me speak, believe it or not, at Reform Rabbinical School about about Kitin, I'm a Masader Kitin, a get administrator, and and I uh, said, well, if he can relate to Reform Rabbi, he can relate to to all Jews. And he was right. We were we're all Jews, Kulani Yudin, and uh, I came there. I came to the shul of Zev Rashon Yom Kippur. I like them. They like me. And. Uh, and 22 years later, I like them and they like me, I hope. <laughs> and uh, they, I, I think so. Um, and, uh, but I definitely love them. And uh, so, so it's a shiddah. It's a shiddah. It's got to be a shiddah. So I think that if we start with like a broader question and then we'll sort of narrow in uh, on Pesach and hopefully give, give the listeners uh, some inspiration, if not some ideas, uh, to bring to their Seder tables uh, and to sort of carry them through the Chag itself. Um, so we are, we're, we're Amechad, we're, we're one people. It's all the same thing. It's all the same Tara. Um, but, you know, over throughout history, customs have developed differently. Um, the opinions, the Shita in, in the Halakha have differed, um, you know, very rarely in a, in a major, you know, fundamental way, but there are significant differences. Um, so, so as someone who is, uh, you know, who occupies both spaces, who's in, who's in both both camps, um, how does uh, sort of having an awareness um, of each other, you know, as an Ashkenazi who is serving a Sephardi community or a Sephardi who is living and and uh, you know practicing uh, in an Ashkenazi community, how do to those do or do those things um, uplift each other? So it's very important for everybody to know uh, what their practices are and where they come from. Because I, I, when people say we, we you'll hear Ashkenazim say, when we say Avarachamim uh, before Musaf, it's not when we say Avarachamim. There are, when Ashkenazim say Avarachamim, if you think that all Jews say Avarachamim, you don't understand what you're doing. Avarachamim as a result of the Crusades. Sephardic Jewry didn't go through the Crusades. So if you say we do Avarachamim, you think that Avarachamim started from the time that Moshe Rabbeinu came down with the Torah at Har Sinai, you know, you're, you, you don't understand what you're doing. It's, it's very important to understand what's, 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 uh, what is from the Torah. What is Drabanan? What is Minah? And what are the different opinions? Where does it come from? You will have, if you understand the other, you will understand the other, the other shvat and the other, the other tribe. You will understand your shevet much better. And from like your role in the over the last twenty two years, like how has your how has your approach or your understanding of, I guess Ashkenazi and Sephardi, I guess perceptions of each other has that changed? Like how you've seen it or. You know, how, how do you think things have changed in the last 22 years? Has your understanding approach changed in the last 22 years? Well, I'll tell you, my, my first Shabbos as, <laughs> as visiting the shul, 
I, my, I sat down and it started davening and then uh, I couldn't find the page. So I had to, the only rabbi in the world that had to ask the congregant, uh, what page are we on? So uh, it's, 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 a, it's a learning curve and it's a steep learning curve. A lot more than you think. The typical Ashkenazi thinks, what's the Sephardic what's Halakha? The Rambam, the Shulchan Aruch, and Ravavad Yosef. But it's really, a, it's, it's, it's a lot more than that. A lot more than that. And uh, they're minagim, you have to know the, the Ari, the Chida, you have to get a feel for the different, uh, who the authorities are, who's a way, who has more weight than others, uh, and the different groups. It's very, very interesting. You see, amongst Saradim, there's a, a much wider diversity amongst the different groups than amongst Ashkenazim. Because when you think about it, okay, so Jews from Poland, Jews from Hungary, Jews from Russia, even Jews from Germany, yeah, okay, the slightly different minhagim, but we really were not that far apart from Germany to Russia. How far is it? And it's not. It's not that far. We're talking about from uh, from Iran all the way from Persia, all the way to to, uh, to to Morocco. That's that's a long distance. So we're not surprised that you're going to have a diversity, a large diversity of differences between uh, the different groups because they were much further apart. That's one thing. And number two, as we don't realize this, we don't emphasize this enough. They're really. Uh, three and maybe even four different groups uh, 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 of uh, uh, Jews, halakhli speak. You have the Ashkenazim, that's definitely a block. But, he, but amongst the um, Eastern communities, let's call it, you have the, you have the Sephardic Jews that were in Savarat, that were in Spain, that were expelled from Spain in 1492 and, 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 and uh, settled in the countries around the Pacific Bay, in the, excuse me, the Mediterranean Basin. And, and, uh, and then you have the Jews who were, we'd call today, a Dot HaMizrach, Eastern communities, communities that never stepped foot in Sephardat. So a Jew from, from Iraq, most likely the family never was in, never was in Spain, maybe for a Pesach program, uh, you know, in the last 20 years, something like that. But they've never, you know, the family's really never in, uh, never, never, never in Spain. And that's Spanish uh, you, in, in uh, Persians. Now, certainly you're talking about Yemenites. They certainly were not in, 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 in Spain. But why are they called Sfaradim is because Ravad Joseph explained, they follow the two main uh, halakhic authorities from Spain, and that is the Rambam, who was born in Spain, and Rav Yosef Caro, who also was called in Spain. So, so in a certain way, uh, all the, uh, the Eastern Jews can can be called Svaradim uh, because their halakhic, which is their halakhic practices, which is the most important thing in life, the halakhic practices all stem from uh, from, from Poskim, who were born in Spain. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting you you bring it up. The um, I, this is a, a podcast. It's a book. It's a series. It's it's a huge discussion in and of itself. But if we can, you know, give it a couple of minutes of attention, you know, we refer to the Adot Hamizrak. We refer to like the Eastern communities. But as you say, it's you know they weren't necessarily to the east. You know, those who were in Spain. That's that's like you know towards the west of Europe. It's not it's not Eastern as it were. It's, I mean, it's east of New York, but. Um, right. But then, if you were to sort of say to a, a Taimani, if you were to call them Sfaradi, if you say to a Yemenite Jew that you're a Sephardi, they wouldn't necessarily be so okay with that designation. And we right. come from like a, a very, and we, myself, Arie, and to, you know, a, a, perhaps a lesser extent yourself, um, uh, Rabbi Jack, to a, an Ashkenormative uh, society where sort of we 
there's the Ashkenazim, as you say, are somewhat more, they are somewhat more homogenous. Um, you know, how does that sort of designation, how does that sort of focus um, of like, you have the, the two, there's Ashkenazi and Sephardi, but that's just not the reality. Um, how does that sort of mistaken viewpoint, uh, if we can call it such, um, how does that sort of affect uh, inter-tribal relations, like inter-Shevet uh, uh, relations? That's, that's a nice question. Uh, and I like what you said uh, about uh, Ashko normative. That's a, uh, that's a nice phrase. It's true. Uh, we, we, meaning the three of us, grew up in an Ashko normative. We think Ashkenaz is, is, is the normal. Well, this is the conventional. And then you have the Spartac way. I, I can't stand when, when Rabbanim will say, uh, uh, even Rabbanim, they'll, they'll say to me, well, is, are they, is this couple going to use the conventional ketubah or is it going to be a Spartac ketubah? What do you mean? The, the Spartac ketubah is not conventional? I don't know. <laughs> the standard? That's not the standard? Broaden your that your tent, broaden our perspective on, on what who and who the Jewish people are. But if you want to understand Sfaradim, you cannot assume, oh, there's one Sephardic way. Generally speaking, for Ashkenazim, for the most part, there's one Ashkenazic way. But when it comes to Sfaradim, there's a wide variety. Let's take it, let's return to the, the Ketubah. So if you're going to be a rabbi who's going to be officiating at a wedding for the Chatan is the Sephardi, and you're going to use a, you want to use a Sephardic Ketubah. There is not one generic Sephardic Ketubah. You have the different groups. You have to understand the Syrians have a, have a, have a Ketubah. The Moroccans have a Ketubah. Are uh, you going to go into a Sephardic Kehillah? You want to use a Sephardic Sidur. Now, <laughs> what is, what, you know, I, I like the standard Sephardic Sidur. There is no such thing as the standard Sephardic Sidur. There are a wide range of Sephardic Sidurim of all the different groups. There are, there are dozens of Sephardic Sidurim that are currently in use. It's reflecting the different approaches. Now, you should know also Rabbi Yosef himself is his own block. He tried to make a, and was somewhat successful, in making a pan-Sfaradic union. And he basically saying that today, Sfaradim, especially if they're in Israel, should follow one specific way, one particular derach, um, mostly following the rulings of Rav Yosef Karo following Minhag Yerushalayim, the Minhagim that have been established in, in Yerushalayim, in Jerusalem. And uh, many Sephardim have subscribed to this, especially if they're Balei Tshuva. And they don't necessarily have a background, a strong family background, what their Minhagim are. Uh, but many Sephardim have resisted that, especially outside of Eretz Yisrael, have strongly resisted that, especially in the Moroccan community, the Persian community, and the Syrian community, uh, very much are, uh, are zealously uphold their individual uh, practices. So you have to understand when you're dealing with someone who's a Sfaradi, oh, oh, what do you do? A Temani. Temani also zealously uphold the Temani practices. Or is this a Temani who follows Ramavad Yosef? You have to... And even with the same in they're different groups. Yeah, I've done it. The Moroccans are different groups. The Syrians are different groups. Yeah, I have to understand. Yeah, you have to get have a little bit of a sense of each group's uh, um, practices, norms, their uh, their way of thinking, and 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 the different varieties. And I think interestingly, the approach that you mentioned, this kind of pan-Sephardic approach, I think it is the approach that um, 
our uh, our colleague uh, Rav Hanan Ben Ayayu took when putting together the Hebrew Nusach um, Sfaradim Sit Koren Siddur. Um, I think that was that was part of his intention um, to kind of bring different minhagim together. And maybe we can have him on another time to uh, talk about <laughs> how how he felt that uh, that went went down. I don't know if you've had heard anything about it. Good, but you, I will, I will tell you that that's it's 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 an easier sell, uh, so to speak, in Israel, where where there's a more natural bonding. And the Sfaradim in, in Israel will, you know, there's more of a sense of being, I'm Israeli, especially in the Dati Lumi community. I'm Israeli rather than I'm Moroccan or I'm Syrian. But in Chutzlaretz, there's a, a little bit less of a binding. There's still a, still a uh, connection, more, you know, more of a stronger connection to that, uh, to, 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 the, uh, to the particular minhagim of, of, their, of their group. So there are advantages and disadvantages to both, to both approaches. Yeah, I mean, so kind of jumping back from Sephardic unity to just overall kind of Jewish unity, how 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 do you think we can find that balance between um, developing one's, I guess, as you call it in the book, and we've mentioned before, Shevet identity, one's own minhagim to be a proud, you know, you know, someone who's a proud Ashkenazi Jew or proud Litvak or a proud whatever or whatever it is. How do you develop that and and stand on that? Masora that you have from your personal family while also developing this overall we approach that you mentioned of understanding that we doesn't just um kind of refer to what our particular Shabbat. How do you how, how can we find the balance between those two I guess two sides? Two key points. Two key points, Arya, and that is is that that is 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 that we have to bear in mind that it's ninety five percent the same, ninety five percent the same. What should strike you, what you should find staggering, when an Ashkenazi visits a Sephardic shul and a Sephardi visits an Ashkenazi shul, what you should find staggering is not what's different. What should what's staggering is what is the same. It is staggering. The fact that we, we were apart for thousands of years, for thousands of thousands of miles. And yet we come together, it's pretty much the same thing. The Sephardic Sefer Torah and the Ashkenazic Sefer Torah have the same exact lettering. Temani, a little, a little, tiny little differences. But overall, what you're speaking about is, is, is a staggering, staggering uh, commonality. And, 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 and that's what we, sh- we should realize. If, if you look superficially, you only see the differences. But if you look deeply, you with a thoughtful reflection, you will realize what is really most impressive is how is, is how is, is, is how each group has maintained fidelity to the Masora to the to the to the tradition. Yeah, I think that's that's like a, a wonderful point as well. We we were fortunate uh, early this year, or the end of last year, to uh, interview. Um, Natan Sharansky and Rav Sharon Shalom, uh, who is an Ethiopian Jew, and sort of the same themes were coming up that you know they were both isolated from the Jewish people, and their people were isolated from the rest of the Jewish world for uh, you know hundreds, thousands of years. And Natan Sharansky, of course, you know, literally locked up a, in a room by himself. Um, but what was sort of what kept Ethiopian Jews connected, and what kept Natan Sharansky personally connected was how it's all the same we're all we're all we're all singing from you know it might have a different nusach written on the spine but it's all the same tefillah it's all the same 
uh, as in the meanings all the same. Uh, you know, the, there's no other racham in, in the in the Sephardi shul, um, but the the themes are the same, the the tefillah are the same, and we're all we're doubling to the same God. Um, but there's there's more. There's one you know one of my students uh, when a bunch of my students I showed them a video from from uh, from Ute, from uh, from Ukraine and they, they witnessed the dominating there in Ukraine. And and just they, it would struck them. I teach in Yeshiva High School at Coltora Academy, Bergen County, here in Teaneck, New Jersey. Yeah. And what struck them when they saw the dominant, they said, "Well, it's our same dominant all the way in Ukraine. It's the same that these are Ashkenazi, Ashkenazi." But still, it, the, the, it's the same thing. It really strikes them. You know, a lot of times the boys ask, "Why do we have the dominant Hebrew?" All high school boys, a lot of high school boys ask that. Why are we doing that? Why are we going kids say that it was a part of the point? is that it, this is what binds us. We've all maintained the tradition, and that's what binds us as one people. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Um, if we could, like, narrow it in now. And this is, this is where we can talk about sort of, like, we can talk about the differences. Um, when it comes to Pesach, everyone has, has something different. Um, not just Ashkenazi versus Taimani versus Moroccan versus... Iraqi versus whatever, and, you know, it, you go into, uh, you know, the, the first Seder that a newly married couple have together, there's always the argument about what tune are we going to do now? Where do we stop here? What, what Torah are we going to share? Everyone's got their different traditions. Um, so I guess on a personal level first, what are some of your favorite Pesach minhagim, your favorite Pesach customs as an Ashkenazi from growing up from your youth? And what have you sort of picked up? What have you incorporated from another tradition um, into your Sadarim at home? Well, I, I got to be honest with you. I'm a descendant of the Ramah, which is, I guess, is Hashem's sense of humor that uh, <laughs> a descendant of the Ramah is serves as a rabbi of a Sephardic community. So at home, we love Sephardim, but we practice 1,000% Ashkenazic practices. So our Sadarim are thoroughly Ashkenazic, even though, I mean, our kids like saying uh, L'chaim. So we say Sabri Mornan, L'chaim. That, that, that's uh, <laughs> a lot of Ashkenazim like that. So that's, I guess, the one thing that, we, that, we, that we've incorporated. Um, but but uh, we, we thoroughly Ashkenazim. One, but one beautiful practice that the Sephardim do that I think is important for Ashkenazim to keep in mind and that is, it's, it's one letter, but it's, a, it's an enormously important letter. And it goes to probably what I think is the most important part of the Seder. You know, if at the Seder, all you do is, is, is you, 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 you didn't have chametz, you had matzah, you had lots of matzah, you went through the Seder, a lot of the great Torah. But if you do not have the right feeling, it all goes to the feeling. If you don't feel, that you just that you view yourself as if you left, and when you say in the bracha and you took us out of Mitzrayim, you you miss the point entirely. And and the Sfaradim have a little bit of a difference. Nusach following the the Rambam, the Rambam says has to show. So uh, different Sfaradi groups have different uh, ways of reenacting it. They take the matzah on the shoulder, Misharatam Surot al Simot al Shikhman, you know, to reenact the leaving of Mitzrayim. And some even have, uh, have a dialogue in Arabic back and forth where you go, where are you coming from? I'm coming from Mitzrayim, where are you going? I'm going to Yerushalayim. 
It's a beautiful, beautiful minigame. It is essential that we view ourselves as if we left Mitzvah, that we were slaves, we were freed, and that, that, that's, that, that's what really, that's, that's the secret of Jew, if you believe that it was you yourself. And from like a halachic perspective, what do you think about, I guess, um, obviously, I mean, in the book you talk about the, the reality of many families, um, I guess to borrow a phrase these days, are, are blended families where you may well have Ashkenazi and Sephardi people at the table. But even in specifically Ashkenazi or in Sephardi families, um, what do you think about blending Minhagim for an Ashkenazi family to bring in um, Sephardi Minhagim into the Seder? Okay. Like, what do you think about that? So if it's a blended family, of course, this, this is what's done. Of course, you're going to have to, there's shalom bias. You want to make, you know, husband and wife have to be, have to be happy. And great, the tunes are, uh, whatever, you should compromise, work out tunes. I, I know my, uh, my brother-in-law is married to uh, my, to uh, my sister-in-law, naturally, who's, uh, who's, who's of Syrian origin. So every week, Matzai Shabbat, he does the Havdalah, with the with the Sephardic tunes, with the Sephardic, uh, uh, you know, with the Sephardic nigun, with the Sephardic, with actually the Syrian nigun, and this and and the uh, the, the practices. He laughs after uh, the Boremin uh, Ebesamim. He uh, the, 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 the 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 text itself, the preamble uh, he, that. Uh, that, that the, the Sephardic pre, preamble to the Havdalah, which differs than the, the Psukim, they quote a little different than the, quite different than Ashkenazim. And uh, that, that's part of Shlomayit, that there has to be flexibility. In terms of halakha, the actual halakha, so there you should follow the traditional practices, follow the husband. And when you have Sephardic guests at Ashkenazic families and vice versa, you just have to be sensitive to each other's practices. So Svaradim, and that actually have to be very, you have to be aware. And that's why it's important to be aware of each other's minagim. You can have Ashkenazim who are uh, coming to your guests for Pesach. Well, obviously you're not going to serve them kidney out. Can you serve them food cooked in your, in your pasta cooked kidney out? That's discussion. Uh, can you serve them uh, on, uh, can, you, can you serve them on glass plates that have been used for kamets? You know, I just find, Ashkenazim find this shocking. But Svaradim, believe it or not, when it comes to glass, they treat glass as non-porous. It doesn't absorb. What you do is wash it, wash it, cold water washing it, and you can wash your glass uh, for the use for chametz, and you can use it for you can use it you can use it for matzah. Ravaja applies this to pyrex and durlex. You have pyrex pyrex uh, cooking ware. You could use that. Says Ravaja, you could use that for for uh, your. Uh, for uh, for to to uh, to cook both meat and dairy, and if you use it for chametz, you could use it for matzah. Now you're gonna have Ashkenazim eating uh, at your home, and you use the pyrex for chametz. You can't use that to cook uh, to cook you know your your pesach food. So you have to be aware, you have to be sensitive to each other, and 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 their different opinions. Uh, egg matzah, kidney, there it goes. Soft matzah is a big issue. That's a big debate. That's a that's a raging debate within the Ashkenazi community. Can can Ashkenazi Jews use, use the Sephardic soft matzah? Rosh from YU believes yes, or Rosh Weiss believes no. So that's an that's a uh, that's an active uh, that that is an active unresolved hot debate. 
that is ongoing within the uh, within the community. You've uh, you've brought it up already, uh, and I suppose we'd uh, be doing our listeners a disservice if we did a an episode around Pesach about differences between Ashkenazim and Sephardim and didn't talk about Kitniot um, just a little bit more. Um, I don't, you know, we're not asking you to, to Paskin necessarily, um, but I mean, how do you feel? I, I think it might be helpful just, you know, on standing on one leg, like a little bit of the, the history of, of Kitniot. What is it? How does, how does it work? And also how, how do you feel about like the people trying to abolish um, the Ashkenazi ban on Kitniot and at the same time the people who are trying to increase it the people who are trying to add things every year of you know your grandmother had never heard of quinoa but you know now it's Kitniot what, what, where do you stand there? Okay so as far as let, let me make this absolutely clear as far as Ashkenazim who think that they could abandon Kitniot it is a terrible, horrible, bad idea. I mean, I want to make that as clear as humanly possible. Uh, it, 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 that people mistakenly think that the reasons no, do, do not apply. That is so wrong. They just all they have to do is to come to my to my kila, to our kila in Tinek, and speak to the people in the kila, and they'll realize how wrong they are. You know, in Sfaradim, they're going to have rice. You know what they do? They inspect it three times to make sure they did not find any wheat specks in it. And the people in my kila will tell you that they find wheat specks. Why? Because rice grows in fields, was planted in fields with, in which wheat was planted. You will find the specks. Now, Ashkenazim have a practice. They don't want to take a chance. Faradim have this tradition that they remember their grandmothers and mothers, the grandmothers, they're doing this inspection. They rely on this inspection. Ashkenazim fear it. It is incredibly relevant. Those who say that the concerns are no longer relevant are, 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 are coming from a place of, let's put it nicely, of not having investigated the matter properly. Uh, it, it, it is counterfactual. Ashkenazim must follow Kitniyot. Now, I understand in Israel, it's not easy. I understand in the army. I understand in Saal, it's not easy. Uh, but nonetheless, it's uh, that's the uh, that's that's the that's the that's that's the Ashkenazi practice, and my railing about Ashkenazim maintaining the minhag about Kitniyot is I'm just echoing the words of the Arach Hashulchan. The Arach Hashulchan, a major Ashkenazi authority who is, who, who tends to be quite lenient, and uh, you know when the leading authority comes firing out and is very strict. You got it. You, ha- you must, must take it seriously. So the Arach HaShulchan comes out firing against those, those Ashkenazim that come up with the idea that you could be lenient about, about, uh, about Kitniot, that you could just do Hatarat Nidarim, and you, you, you could free yourself from this, uh, from this Minog. It is a horrible, horrible idea. Now, on the other hand, the Sfaradim, Okay, Sfaradim who, who, who follow Maran, follow the Rambam, there's no such thing as Kitniot, Tavolayim Racha, let them enjoy. But this is Ish al Machaneu Ish al Diglo. Everyone must follow their practice. I enjoy saying, you know, uh, if you want to be, if you, you want to eat Kitni Ashkenazi, who wants to eat Kitniot on, on, uh, on Pesach, let them join us for Silichot for 40 days. On Kodesh Elul. And uh, okay, you want to become a Sfaradi, become a Sfaradi. 
But as long as you are not becoming a Svaradi, there's no such thing as become, being a Svaradi one month out of the year. And, uh, and then, and then, uh, and, and, and then uh, all of a sudden, Chodesh Elul, I'm, uh, you go back to being, uh, you go, you're going back to be, to be, uh, to be Ashkenazi. By the way, I will add something uh, to, and regarding Svaradim saying Slikot, uh, or during all of Chodesh Elul. A mark of a true Svaradi is that the Svaradim loves saying the Sikot. I would invite any Ashkenazi and urge any Ashkenazi to come to Svarik Slikot at least once. They rock. They are very enjoyable. The Nigunim are wonderful. And uh, I understand the Ashkenazi Slikot are much more somber. They're also much more difficult to decipher. The Svarik, the, the, you have to uh, be a little bit of a Tamil Chacham to understand uh, the Ashkenazic Slikot. They're written cryptically. If they have a good Bikiyur and Tanakh and Chazal to really understand what they get, to understand fully what they're getting at. With the Ashkenazim, you, you, with the Sardis Slikot, however, they're very, very straightforward uh, and, and understandable, clear, and, uh, and, and the tunes are very compelling. So Saradim loves saying Slikot, I must add. I, not, not that my opinion counts so much here, but I remember when I was in Yeshiva, um, my dorm room sort of shared a wall with where the Sfaradim would do their slichot. And I still, whatever, 15 years later, find myself sort of just humming the tunes uh, as I sort of go about daily life. They are, it's, it was, it's incredible. Like I came from, as we said before, this Ashkenormative uh, community is upbringing. My family is originally like German and Austrian. I grew up, my family's been in the UK for hundreds of years. Um, right. But like this, just the, the enjoyment that the Sfaradim seems to be getting out of the slichot. Was, oh my goodness. Amazing and inspirational, but we can talk about that. Uh, come Elo. <laughs> yes. Um, I guess just uh, uh, because I kind of want to, and I know some of us probably want to, to, to dig in a little bit on the, on the kidney up point and in the spirit of bridging traditions that we were talking about. Um, do, do you think that obviously while maintaining Ashkenazi, um, approaches and minhagim towards kitnyot is important. Do you think that sometimes uh, there's not, you know, when people, when you start looking into it more, being more familiar with the poskim on it and think, you know, topics come up like bittle um, and, you know, when things have changed their state, things like this, that maybe some people take, you know, kitnyot a bit too far almost that, you know, they start going crazy about certain things you know, videos have come up online in the past about, you know, people going crazy about Pesach programs that had Kidney Yacht there. When do you think that actually you know, the headache of going around the supermarket, let's say in Israel and checking absolutely everything when there is definitely, you know, I think I heard recently, I think you can, you'll know if I'm wrong, so you can correct me. I think Rav Moshe, for example, holds up peanuts aren't Kidney Yacht. Um, so something that like, let's say, which is just pure peanut butter wouldn't be actually be considered Kidney Yacht, whereas a lot of people might think it's kidney oil. Feel free to correct me on that. Um, uh, I remember. I remember as as a boy. I remember we had peanut oil on Pesach with an OU. We relied on Rav Moshe Feinstein's opinion. However, uh, that that Rav opinion really did not uh, did, did not win the day. And the OU, uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure for the last forty years. I was certainly not now. 
the last 40 years has not uh, followed with Moshe's opinion. Look, I can see if there's a case of need, I can see for vegans going easy on the some of these borderline issues like soy or peanuts. But for Ashkenazim, and I, and I appreciate that in Israel it's difficult, but for Ashkenazim, even in Israel, they should they do have to be more careful in uh, in, in, er, in, in Eretz Israel, and they should keep it, even though I understand the difficulty, they should still keep the Minagim. It's very, very important. Can I listen? I guess, uh, I, I, I mean, to help those that struggle with it, even in Israel, I think a lot of people look at Kitney as like, a, I guess we call it like a Sumera, like, oh, you know, it's 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 a bother, but I'll do it because it's obviously a bad thing for me to kidney off. How can our Ashkenazi listeners see kidney off at, or not eating kidney off as an assay tov? Like, this is something which actually enhances my Pesach. It's b- because, you know what? Let me tell you something, Harriet. If you, and Alex, I want to emphasize something very important. If you don't care about what your grandparents did, then your grandchildren are not going to care about what you did. A key point about the Seder is, and about Pesach is, left, we talked about this. You you need to plug yourself into your family's minagim. If you don't, you become an orphan in history. And and just to become a hodgepodge of a a Sfaradi and an Ashkenazi, the Ashkenazi who eats kidney up, it doesn't say slichot, that's false. That's, That's not plugging yourself into the nitzchiyot of the eternity of Am Yisrael. I mean, that, that, again, that's just a beautiful thing. I, I'm like, I'm really connecting to this idea of how, you know, as, as you say, you, if you don't care about what your grandparents did, then your grandkids aren't going to care about what you do. And I think that's like really beautiful. It's, it, it's I wonder if we can, we can talk more um, about how, you know, maintaining our differences only enhances Judaism as a whole, whether right. it's to do with Pesach or not, or, or anything else, as in... Good, good, good. Let me, let me emphasize as follows. You read the Navi Yecheskel. The Navi Yecheskel describes, gives you a vision for the third Beit HaMikdash, and in that description, it describes 12 Shearim of Yerushalayim, the 12 gates of Yerushalayim, each corresponding to one of the Shabbatim. What does it teach you? That even Biyamot HaMashiach, that we will have that 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 we will have twelve shivatim. There will still be twelve sharim. Meaning like this, something as I heard, as I heard from Rabbi Salavechik when I had the privilege of driving him to the airport when I was a student at Yeshiva University. That he said the beauty of of of, of the tefillah lies in its versatility. The beautiful the beauty of our Torah lies is is in its versatility and therefore ish al machaneo ish al diglo the t- we find we are we are we, we camp around har sinai in machanot in the different camp we're not just all yes we're united as a people but we're still by our shaven everybody should maintain their allegiance to their shaven it's part of being it's part of our past and and you can't just be like uh from um like 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 Ben Gurion, that does that doesn't work. Uh, you, you can't just skip two thousand years of, of Jewish history. You can't just erase a thousand years that uh, Ashkenazim have been living uh, in Ashkenaz. You can't erase 
uh, the, 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 the legacy of the, of the Ramah. And those who do, and those who do will have no, will have no future. I, I, I love to point out in, in, a, uh, in a different book that I published by Koran, Reason to Believe, it's no coincidence that, that such a large percentage of the soldiers in, in, in Yechidot Kravyot, in combat units in Israel, are from the religious Zionist community. And not from the second community as it was in the first 30, 40 years in the state. And that is because what lasts, what lasts the connection to Torah, the Torah connection, when you understand Eretz Yisrael, you understand Yushalayim, you understand the importance of these things. And the importance of these central, central concepts, because you're connected to the past, you feel part of the past, that's what gives, this is what gives us a future. Yes, we are Amechad, and it's a very important to realize we are Amechad, but it's very important to realize that the strength of the Amechad, it lies in its diversity. We love each other, we should really love each other. But, uh, but, but to embrace the diversity um, a, a, as well as embracing the nation as a whole. It's a, it's a balance, but it's a, very imp- it's a very important balance to strike. So I'm probably one of the handful of people who are davening in the shul in Israel on Yom and Raim and Chagim using a Minhag Anglia machsa. Um because I, I guess I was brought up in a... Her- I was brought up in a home where, you know, Minhag Anglia was very important in England. I brought that with me here. So I definitely, I'm on board with that. Um, and, you know, I think definitely from my, you know, from my father's perspective, I think what you were saying in terms of what, what the grandchildren do is, is important. We want our grandchildren, please go to the future, our great-grandchildren to, to hold on to the Minhag of the past. But do you think that essentially what we're seeing today, the miracle of Kibbutz Galiot, changes the game a little bit in the sense that my, please God, my grandchildren might have an Ethiopian or Yemenite parent. So, you know, expecting our grandchildren or great-grandchildren who perhaps might be coming, have their great-grandparents might come from literally four corners of the world. How how could we expect them to hold on to kind of all those four corners in one go? Let them do it. It's a a beautiful (laughs) thing. Look, Kibbutz Goliath is a beautiful thing. And, and, and the different and the marriages within the communities is a beautiful is really a beautiful thing. I should add in a little bit, a little bit of a, a promotion for a uh, for intercommunity uh, marriages, because it's also good. Biologically speaking, genetically speaking, it's good to mix up uh, the genes instead of recycling the same genes generation after generation. It's a good thing. Uh, but but. Uh, okay, if, if my daughter is going to marry a, te- a Taimoni, good. So they'll let them let the grandchildren follow the Taimoni Minagim. They'll know where they come from. They know where they're on their mother's side. But they should follow the, 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 the Taimoni Minagim. The Shevet goes by the father. And that's what we can follow. The same idea here, the identity, the, the, the tribal community. And, and look, it's, at, at the end of the day, the, the most important thing is that we're Jews. And, and, and that's the biggest thing to hold on to. But part of what we hold on to is our, uh, is our, is our, our, our old minagim. Look, it's, it's beautiful. I remember I gave a shiur in, in Shalvin to the Israelis uh, when I visited my son there in January of 2019. And I asked them to raise their hand. What was the difference? How many, how many of you have one parent Sardi and one parent Ashkenazi? And uh, I would I would estimate about three quarters of the students raise their hand. That's a beautiful thing. 
It really is a beautiful thing, but it, it doesn't mean that we should dilute ourselves. It should serve as a source of strength and not of dilution. Um, so, I mean, just before we wrap up, just bring it back to Pesach. Um, if we could, if you could give, uh, you know, one lasting message, something for our listeners to to take with them to the Seder, a, uh, a short idea, perhaps something that's sort of an element from the Seder, which is, you know, as you, you, you mentioned before how like the Tefillot, you know, not, I mean, the example you gave was Al-Harachamim, but you know, the Tefillot, there are differences, but there's that 95% the same. The Seder is one of those things where it's, it differs by a few letters here and there. What's the the one thing your your favorite vault that sort of maybe blends uh, the Ashkenazi and the or Asfadi um, uh, idea or uh, tradition, something like? What's your your go to uh, for Pesach for the Seder uh, that you wouldn't mind sharing with our listeners that they can uh, can take it with them when they sit down to Seder? I would, I would say as follows. I think that you have a sense of purity, overwhelming purity on Pesach and especially the Seder. We've rid the house of Chametz. We've worked so hard to rid out the house of Chametz. What do we gain from that? It all goes back to the Kabbalistic idea of Simsum, of limitations. HaKadosh Baruch Hu had to limit himself, his infinite existence, to make room for us in his world. So too, we limit ourselves to create room for Hashem in our world. We limit ourselves in terms of kashrut, year-round, to make room for Hashem in our lives, just like he limits himself to make room for us in his life, in his world. And on Pesach, we take this, we take this idea uh, and to, 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 to a whole new level. We limit ourselves in terms of chametz, and by limiting ourselves with the, with the chametz and making ourselves chametz-free, like in the Beit HaMikdash, with no well, with no chametz, we literally make our house like the Beit HaMikdash, and we create an even greater presence for our Kadosh Baruch Hu on Pesach, even more than we have year-round. So beautiful, beautiful Chag, and in a certain way, it's the most intense time where we could feel that that close connection with our Kadosh Baruch Hu, as we say in the Seder, Ba'achshav Kevon HaMakom L'Avodatav. Uh, Rabbi Jackson, thank you so much for joining us. I think you know Pesach is one of the key themes, and we've talked about is of Achdut, the idea of we can imagine in the past um, both Pesach Mitzrayim and Pesach Latid of of families gathering around to have their korban Pesach together. It's a chag of unity, and uh, please go to Pesach Latid. Um, you know we should be able to each all have our Koran Pesach, even though we might bring our different minhagim of uh, you know what we do. We eat the Koran Pesach, we all do it together. And thank you for giving us that chance to reflect on how to do things together while also doing them in our in our own uh, minhagim as well. And just thank you so much for taking the time uh, to join us on the Koran podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And one little postscript: I think we'll be having the same Korban Pesach. That will be the, the, the Mashiach will set the Minagim and we'll all have the same Karban Pesach following the same Minagim, most likely of the uh, the Psakim of the Rambam. But will we sing the same Nagun in while we eat in the Karban Pesach? Okay, that's uh, that <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Rabbi Jackta.
That's all we've got time for for this week's episode of the Corin podcast. Um, it was great to speak to Rabbi Jakta, and I hope that uh, he's given us all, I mean, certainly us and you as well, some food for thought going into Pesach, some appreciation of our own minhagim and a chance to stop and also take a step back and appreciate uh, other minhagim um, from around the Jewish world. If you'd like to get yourself a copy of Bridging Traditions, Demystifying Differences Between Sephardic and Ashkenazic Jews, uh, you can do so at www.karenpub.com. Um, although we were talking to Rabbi Jackter about Pesach specifically, um, the book is really for all year round. It talks about uh, tefillah, uh, all of the Chagim, Shabbat, uh, Kriyat Torah, and all sorts of other differences between Ashkenazic and Sephardic communities. Um, and when you're at currentpub.com, if you apply uh, the promo code podcast at checkout, you will receive 10% off your entire order. Arie, if people want to be in touch with us for any reason, how can they do so? You can email us on podcast at currentpub.com and you can find us on all social medias at current publishers. That's right. And so I think the only thing left is to wish all of our listeners all over the world a Chag Kasher uh, And we will see you again shortly. Thank you.